Guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You listen to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. But today's episode doesn't just have a title sponsor, it has a theme. All week long across the Locked On Podcast Network, we're talking what-ifs, the great what-ifs for every franchise across the league. So over the next two weeks, we'll dive into some of the big what-ifs in the history of the Blazers. But today we're going to start with one of the, one of the big ones. What if Arvita Sabonis came over in the 80s? Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to talk about why this is a sort of pantheon-level what-if. In the second segment, we'll talk about who would be there and who wouldn't be there if Sabonis is around in the 80s. And then we'll close the show talking about the biggest ripple effects that Sabonis' arrival might have caused if he came 10 years earlier. But let's start with putting this in perspective. Why is this one a big deal? Well, here's the basics. The Blazers drafted Arvidas Sabonis in the first round of the 1986 draft, mostly with the understanding that it was unlikely that he would come over, certainly immediately, and and that there was some uncertainty when he would leave the then-USSR and join the NBA. He eventually came over in 1995. But that nine-year period leaves us with this great big what-if. What if Sabonis came in the 80s? By 1986, he was already somewhat of a global phenom. Not even somewhat. He was a global phenom. He had come over with the USSR in a college tour in 1982, and they had beaten Indiana. I, I believe they went 9-3 and three on a 12-game uh, college tour, and Sabonis was the best player on the team and looking like one of the best players in the world. Not only did they beat Indiana, you know, a, a blue-blood college basketball program, but they hung with Virginia, a very good team at the time, and, and Sabonis outplayed Ralph Sampson. And when he was outplaying Ralph Sampson, he was doing it by being Sabonis, facing him up, running the floor, using his great passing instincts. If Sampson was going to go on to be a star in the NBA briefly, and Sabonis was better than him as a teenager. But I think the... This what-if should be grounded in more historical context than just say, okay, 1986, we wave the wand and Zabonis comes over. I don't think it's realistic to say that he would have come in 86. There was a lot of speculation that if he had chosen to join the NBA that early, that the USSR would have uh, garnished some of his wages, that some of his paycheck from the league would have uh, immediately gone over to, to, the, to the state. In addition, there was Sabonis was a star in Europe. He didn't necessarily need to come to the league. It's something that would be a trend for a long time uh, for European players. Is that for sometimes it's you're talking making a financial sacrifice to join the NBA or a quality of life sacrifice, leaving your family and, and familiar surroundings to come to the league. And they're just uh, there's not there's maybe not as large of an incentive. In addition, the FIBA rules at the time stated that if you played in the NBA, you would not be eligible for the Olympics. And the USSR really wanted Arvidas Sabonis to play in the 1988 Olympics. So let's say that was that was the, the sticking point. That after the 1988 Olympics, when uh, 
Sabonis beat up on the USA team, dominated David Robinson, and kind of made it clear that the USA should start sending NBA dudes to the uh, Olympics, hence the dream team the next time things came around in 1992 in Barcelona. Sabonis certainly had a hand in that with his dominance in the 88 Olympics. And... But let's say after that point, we get we after 1988, uh, we come in the summer of 89 when FIBA officially changes the rule and allows European players, international international players, moreover, to play in the NBA and still be eligible for the Olympics. I think that is the sort of flashpoint when we should say Sabonis would have joined the league. There was, a, in preparing for this podcast, I read two fantastic articles, one in Sports Illustrated and another in Grantland. Uh, I'll link to those in the description of the uh, of this episode. So if you if you want to read more, I really highly recommend both those stories. But there was a there was a belief that at this time in this, in sort of 1986 when when Sabonis is coming out that he was like Patrick Ewing level good. He was better than Patrick Ewing. In fact, in an article written in June of 86, right around the draft, some of his uh, teammates where he played professionally were saying that he was the best play- he'd be the best player in the NBA right then. Right then and there, he'd be the best player in the league. But there were some real caveats. He had already had a torn Achilles uh, by 1988 he'd, and, and would suffer another one in the opposite leg. He had knee and ankle injuries forever that kind of sapped him of what he was by the time he got here. But I say that to say when he arrives in the NBA, there's no guarantee that he is this 82-game monster. I think he would be a star in the league, and we'll touch on that in the second segment. But the idea that he was highly durable is maybe a little bit overblown. Sabonis was an incredibly special talent, but like so many big guys before him, he was a little bit brittle. The size that you need to be to be a dominant big big man in the NBA is not a size that's easy to sort of run around and jump a lot. There's a lot of dudes who are that big who break down. But make no mistake, post-injuries and pre-NBA, Sabonis was a star. He won two Spanish League titles in the early 90s. He was the best player in Europe for essentially a decade after the Blazers drafted him. He was getting compared to Bill Walton for his passing ability and and his his keen instincts at his size. He was getting compared to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for his low post ability. He was getting compared to Patrick Ewing as this sort of young, dynamic center who was going to change the face of the league. Patrick Ewing made 11 all-star teams in his first 12 seasons. If Sabonis was an 11-time all-star in 12 years, I think he certainly changes the fate of those Blazers after 1989. So that's what we'll dive into in the second segment. In this what if, in this hypothetical scenario, when Arvidas Sabonis shows up to training camp in 1989, what changes for the Blazers, who are on the cusp of playing in two finals in three years? But before we get there, I want to tell y'all more about Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It just tastes really good. That's the trick. That's the secret here. If you tried other protein bars, you know that they can be a little dry or just not delicious. This one skirts the problem because it's just delicious. It just tastes really good. The bars are all covered in 100% chocolate. Uh, They come in 16 amazing flavors. They're soft and chewy. Listen, the candy bar thing is real. They taste like a candy bar. I ate one today. I had the chocolate orange flavor. And in that bad boy, it's 110 calories, 15 grams of protein, and only four total net carbs. 
For the health conscious among us, this is a great option. If you are looking for a snack like I was around 10.30 this morning and grabbed a Built Bar, it's a better option than the other unhealthy things waiting for you in your pantry. Plus, it tastes really good. Built Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. There's no preservatives. They're gluten-free. Like I said, they're yummy. Get yourself some of these, and here's how you do it. You go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your first order. That's LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. All right. So we're still talking our Vita Sabonis. What if he came over in the 80s? In this hypothetical I've laid out, he comes over in 1989. And he's probably a star right away. And by that, I mean he has to start at center for the Trailblazers, which means that the, the impact or the player that's going to feel the sting of the arrival of Arvidas Sabonis is Kevin Duckworth, who in 1988 won the Most Improved Player Award in the NBA. And the following season, 88-89, made his first All-Star game. He averaged 18-8. And then Arvidas Sabonis is going to show up. He is going to take his job. Let's assume for these purposes that the Blazers roll forward just like they did that year. They're a very good team. They've added Buck Williams in this offseason to kind of beef up their front line. Adding Buck Williams and Arvidas Sabonis in the same summer, this is how you build a dynasty. This is the dream that you're all dreaming of when you sent me these what-ifs on Twitter. So Buck, now they've got a, a front line of Buck Williams and Jerome Kersey and Arvidas Sabonis. They've got Drexler. They've got Terry Porter. Off the bench, they've got a rookie, Cliff Robinson. They've got Kevin Duckworth, who's an all-star center now coming off the bench. It's a lot less Mark Bryan, a lot less Wayne Cooper, a lot less Ala Abdel-Nabi. It really shores up the problem for the, what the Blazers were when they got to the playoffs, which was relatively thin. They had this elite starting group that really made sense together, but they didn't have a lot of options beyond that. It was hard for them to go deep into the rotation. Uh, Cliff Robinson develops into a wonderful option off the bench, but this year he was not quite that. And even still, the Blazers with bona fide superstar Clyde Drexler at shooting guard make the NBA Finals, and let's assume that they still do that with a harmonious push forward. Adding Arvidas Sabonis. This is the best team in the West. They beat the Lakers, they meet the Detroit Pistons in the finals, and for my money, this is the Blazers' best chance to win an NBA title, is that 1990 finals against the Pistons. The games were close. Blazers lost two close ones to end the series. Definitely winnable games. Obviously, Vinnie Johnson hits a shot with .07 seconds left to to seal the uh, game six for the Pistons, but... Uh, the Blazers had their chances in Game 6 of that series. They were right there in Game 7. And I'm going to say that Arvidas Sabonis really tips the scales a little bit. The following year, they won 63 games without Sabonis in the lineup. This was the best version, maybe, of the Blazers' 1990-91 that, that they had during this stretch. I'm going to assume that Arvidas Sabonis helps. Maybe not 72-win Bulls helps, but... If this is a 63 team team without him, this is a 67 team with him. You know, they're just, they went from very good to also very good. 
But what really changes for me here is that the Blazers, when they meet the those hated Lakers in the Western Conference Finals in 1991, the Kareem's gone. Uh, this is a fading dynasty for the Lakers. But Kevin Duckworth really struggled in the Western Conference Finals. He shot under 38% from the floor. Uh, Duck is not was not much of a defender. He was a guy who could score from a lot of places on offense. He could shoot little mid-range jumpers. He's a bully in the post. He had real he had a real ability to go go get buckets and he's a huge dude, a, a, a very useful center. Like I mentioned, he's a year removed from a or two years removed from an All-Star. Uh, nod at this point in our hypothetical, but he really struggled against Vladivac and Sam Perkins and, and the Lakers size up front. So I think adding Sabonis into this gives the, the Blazers a fighting chance to make a second straight NBA Finals. They were the best team in the NBA this year, and adding Sabonis, I'm going to say, puts them over the top, or very likely does. The following year, the Blazers... You know, uh, they added Danny Ainge in 1991. They, they kind of now they're incredibly deep. But at this point, I think I think we're going to reach a stage when Kevin Duckworth says, "You know what? I'm too good to be a backup. Peace out." And I think that's what I want to talk about in all these uh, hypotheticals moving forward. Is kind of not only who who would be there. It's obvious Sabonis, but who might not be there? Should we add this? I can't imagine Duckworth sticks around for a second year. I can imagine him either demanding a trade or uh, trying to renegotiate a contract so he can get out of there earlier. The, the the league was a little bit different back then in the way it all worked. The Blazers eventually trade him for RV Grant in 1994, but. Maybe that speeds up this process, and the Blazers had another backup big, maybe someone who more commensurate to be a backup big than Duck would have been at the time. So the Blazers' bench would have been a little bit depleted, perhaps as early as 1991 and almost certainly by 1992. I can't imagine three seasons of Duck watching from being a backup center. Even if uh, Sabonis is going to miss you know, 10 games a year with the knee and ankle problems, that's not good enough for a guy who was looking like a real star in 1988. So maybe they lose Duck by this time, but they've added Danny Ainge. They may have been to two straight finals with a finals victory. And they're facing the Chicago Bulls, who really torched them in game one of the 92 finals. And then things got closer and the the Blazers even were up 15 late in the fourth quarter in game six. This is a what if the many of you mentioned, what if they win that game or what if they don't come out so flat in game one against the Bulls? I would push back against that, but we'll save that for another episode. My point here is that the Blazers were pretty close in 1992, even against a very, very good Bulls team, arguably the best of the pre-retirement Bulls teams. So while I feel relatively confident that they could have won against that Pistons team that had lost Rick Mahorn and wasn't as good as they were the year before, I, I'm, I'm no, there's no guarantees against either of these Jordan teams that they win if they make it in 91 and 92. But they would still have been to three straight. It's very likely, even, that with a young Sabonis, uh, a, a true star in the league, someone who's... who's an all-star level center, most likely at this stage when he comes over, that they would have been in three consecutive NBA finals with one trophy to boot, which leads me to what we'll talk about in the third segment. If Sabonis comes, I 
think the band stays together a little bit longer. That's what we'll talk about in the segment in the third segment to close out the show. Before we do that, I want to tell y'all about Blinkist. It's hard to find time to sit down and read and learn more when you don't have free time. You can't read or work on personal development. There is an incredible app that solves this problem. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is unique and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Here's what it does. It takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. 12 million people are already using Blinkist and it's got a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, to history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from the bestseller list as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but never had time to. But now you got time because you could find 15 minutes with Blinkist. With Blinkist, you get access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for you. Go to Blinkist.com NBA to try it for free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash MBA to start your free seven-day trial, and you'll also receive 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash MBA. Still a pass-first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Lockdown Blazers, and we're still talking about Arvidas Sabonis and what if he came over in the 80s. The Blazers were good when he got here. They made the playoffs every year of his career. But by the time you remember Arvidas Sabonis, I don't know how old you are, dear listener. I don't mean to profile you, but the most, the highest leverage games of Sabonis' career came when he was old, above 35 and guarding Shaq in his prime. What we are supposing with this what if is what if Shaq had to guard Sabonis in his prime? That means that he comes in 89 and he plays maybe... You know, the year 2000, he plays 10 years in the league, 11 years in the league. And then he does what he would have preferred to do, is disappear back to Lithuania or Spain, where he ended up raising some of his kids and opening up a resort hotel and uh, starting a youth basketball league. Doing all the things that he's sort of done out of the limelight. I don't think he turns, I don't think young Sabonis becomes Shaq. Like, I don't think he, he becomes, he's, he's rapping and starring in Shaq Fu, Sabonis Fu and all that. But I do think he changes a significant part of the Blazers' history. The biggest ripple effects, which I promise you we talk about if this what if, is that Clyde Drexler stays. He's a one-time champion at least with a chance at two others. And an aging Clyde Drexler who has now been saved by this young phenom, a young Lithuanian phenom who he competed against, I guess, in this scenario in the 92 Olympics and Sabonis, who legendarily went back, you know, uh, the the Lithuanian national team, you should Google it if you don't haven't seen these photos, but they're wearing the uh, tie-dye shirts gifted to them by part of the fundraiser set up by members of the Grateful Dead. But Sabonis, a legend, uh, after Lithuania gets eliminated uh, when their or when their Olympic days are done, he goes back to the Olympic Village and starts challenging everyone at the Olympic Village to arm wrestling, so the legend goes, and shots. And that fool beat people in arm wrestling and got drunk because he's a legend. But in addition to that legend, 
We'd get a new one in this what if is that Clyde Drexler stays. He does not ask for a trade. He does not, de- he does not demand out to go play for a contender because he already plays for one. What we're not going to push too far forward is do the, do the Blazers have a chance to win several NBA titles when MJ retires? Because if the Blazers beat MJ, does he retire? It seems like too many ripple effects. But I think the thing we can, I can definitively say is if Sabonis comes early, Clyde stays. Because the Blazers likely win a title if not several titles. And if Clyde stays, maybe he's still aligned with the with the team now. Maybe you don't get that sort of weird transition era when Sabonis was aging and they're moving on and they started to get all these sort of knuckleheads and troublemakers um, that is affectionately known as the Jailblazers. Maybe Clyde around the team and Sabonis with this a long period of being one of the elite teams in the league as opposed to one of the pretty good teams in the league as they were in the 90s? Maybe that sends the Blazers on a totally different trajectory. But what it might, what I think it would do is it would, right now, Drexler would be the greatest Blazer of all time without a doubt. Without a doubt. Perhaps he wins an MVP award when the sort of voting public got tired of voting for MJ. But we're looking at the biggest ripple effect for me is not a is not a title. I think the Blazers of the 90s were so close to a title without Arvidas Sabonis that you add any player, not just someone who is going to be, you know, athletic Patrick Ewing or Patrick Ewing who threw passes like John Stockton or whatever you imagine Sabonis being. Uh, it's that Clyde, the, the face of the franchise who had this unceremonious kind of gross exit from the team and doesn't align with them in any way now is not, you know, is just very much not a blazer despite being the greatest blazer ever at this point. He stays. And that changes how we feel about the team. It changes how we feel about legacy. It probably changes how the blazers uh, appreciate, like I'm talking about the organization, like appreciates their history in general. I think they had a long time when maybe they didn't, um, nostalgia was not necessarily part of the team unless it was the 70s and i think this in this scenario this allows the team to be truly and authentically nostalgic about that special team of the 90s many of those role players are beloved buck is beloved i think jerome kersey one of the, the the real fan favorites of of this time but what sabonis does is he elevates all those dudes not to just sort of like local lore but oh okay, this is one of the great teams of all time, and Clyde Drexler is one of the, you know, 25 or 40 best players to ever play this game. Sabonis would elevate everyone because of his skill set, his ability to pass, his his ability to, you know, take pressure in the paint the way in a league where big still dominated. He would have changed... A lot, but the biggest ripple effect for me is that Drexler stays, and we remember those. We remember this era so much different. Sure, there'd also be a championship parade down Broadway and some more legendary Sabonis stories. But what Sabonis would do is keep this team intact because of being a special talent, a selfless talent, and quite possibly the best player in the world, not named Michael Jordan, in the early '90s. That's our first what if. We're going to have more of these. 
Uh, plenty of you sent me a ton of suggestions for possible what-ifs. I'm probably going to stay away from the obvious injury ones because I don't find those super interesting. But I, I, this is one that you can't ignore. So I'm going to try to hit the ones we can't ignore that aren't as like, what if this knee worked better? We'll certainly talk about injuries at some point in this what-if journey, but I find unpacking uh, these larger scenarios to be more interesting. Hopefully you do too. Like I said, check out the two Sabona stories linked in the bottom of this, in the episode description. I found them both fascinating. Hopefully you do too. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get where they already get podcasts. Just search Lockdown Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.